Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. Start tracking it because when you start tracking your money, it's amazing how you start finding more cash and you know where you are. Because if you think of cause and effect, like everybody talks about, you know, your assets create income, right? Like that's been the traditionally being taught. But the truth is, is that the more cash flow you have, the more extra money you have each and every month that can either build an asset or pay down a liability, that should be increasing cash flow one way or the other, either through passive income or freeing up loans like you know payments and things like that. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, we've got a very special guest. His name is Chris Miles, and Chris is a cash flow expert. He's an anti-financial advisor, and he is a leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. He's an author, podcast host of the Chris Miles Money Show. He's been featured in US News, CNN, Money, Entrepreneur on Fire, and he's got a proven reputation with his company, Money Ripples, for getting his clients fast, life-altering financial results. In fact, his personal clients have increased their cash flow by more than $200 million in the past 10 years. Those are awesome results. Chris, happy to have you here today. Hey, it's such a pleasure to be here, man. Yeah. So, you know, as we dig in, there's a, there's a lot I want to unpack just around these ideas of, you know, financial planning. What does that mean? Traditional versus non-traditional aspects. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be the anti-financial advisor? <laughs> Not the way you expect, right? I actually went to college with a sociology major with a triple minor in psychology, Japanese, and ballroom dancing, right? Oh, Renaissance man. Kind of a renaissance man, right? <laughs> uh, and the whole purpose of that was to actually go into business consulting, you know? So naturally, it all goes together. Yeah, sure. Well, before I was going to get my degree, I was like, you know, before I just finish up and get my bachelor's, should I have real life experience before I try to go get my MBA and that kind of thing? So I thought, you know, I'm going to drop out of college, just take a little hiatus and just go and try to be an entrepreneur. And I had no clue what to do. But after about a couple months, you know, one of my friends said, hey, man, you should like become a financial advisor. That's what I just started doing. I'm training to do it. It's awesome. I'm like, huh, for whatever reason, like it couldn't leave me. I'm like, that's so weird. I didn't expect to go there, but yeah. all right, let's try it. Now, I didn't know the time. I was trying to impress them and everything. I didn't realize they'd take anybody that could pass a test and has a heartbeat, <laughs> right? 
you don't have to have any special skills. You don't have to have any financial background to work for the financial industry. So, you know, I got in, but you know what? I actually started to like it. You know, I actually really enjoyed being an entrepreneur. I like controlling my time and my money and my freedom, essentially my own destiny, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by the topic of money. So I did that for four years, stayed dropped out of college, never went back. And then about four years in, as time went on, I'm, I'm one of those guys that likes evidence, right? You know, and that's the thing is that when you start to look at the real results people get from doing the traditional mainstream financial stuff mm-hmm. of spend nothing, save everything, save it forever, save it for the long haul, save it in mutual funds and stocks, and hopefully someday you have something, right? And that's kind of the typical thing you see happen. And what happened about four years in, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a financial advisor, left to go do real estate investing, right? And he starts telling me after four months that him and his dad have now doubled his dad's income as a professor at the local university. And I thought, oh, come on, that's too good to be true. Like, <laughs> you can't do that in real estate. Besides, real estate's been proven. It only goes up 3% a year, right? You know, it only goes up with like barely inflation, looking at just the values, you know, mm-hmm. not looking at, for example, like cash flow or anything else, right? right? By the way, I used to think that the stock market averaged 12%, which is complete bogus because you look at the 30 year real average yield, right? Yeah. The average return, because average, when you have a negative year, the negative throws off the numbers, right? Negative yeah. and actual returns become different once you have a negative year. So yeah, it might say, you know, 11 or 12% average, but the true average for the last 30 years has been 8.3. And that's actually high historically, right? It's usually mm-hmm. seven to 8%. So naturally, like I was thinking like, no, there's no way stocks are better. And, and we went back and forth. What's better stocks or real estate, right? And finally, he stopped me. He said, Chris, how many of your clients are actually financially free on their investments? Like where they don't worry about money. I said, well, none, because even the retired ones still worry about running out of money. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's a good job, Chris. Way to go. How about this, Chris? If anybody has it figured out, it's you guys as financial advisors. So how many of you guys, and I know you've got guys in your office that have been working since the late 70s. How many of you guys are financially free, not off the commissions that you're earning off selling these things, mm-hmm. but actually doing these investments and able to retire off the investments themselves? I thought about it. I said, none. Maybe one guy is, and I found out that guy wasn't either. He was just really pompous, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, like, like a lot of financial advisors are, sadly enough. So he, he just had a lot of ego and looked like he had a lot of success, but he wasn't either. He was scrambling for work once he got fired from that company a few years later. And so I realized, like, man, like, you know what? Nobody's financially free. I'm like, okay, well, tell me the answer then. Tell me what should I do? He's like, I don't think you're open to the answer. I'm like, come on, man. Like, you just got me to admit that what I do doesn't work. So mm-hmm. what should I do here? He's like, all right, if you're really serious, and I don't think you are, but if you are, go get the book, Who Took My Money by Robert Kiyosaki. So it's a lesser known rich dad book, right? Mm-hmm. Let's sum it up. Basically, mutual funds suck. There you go. That's basically the premise of the whole story. And then he's like, and then listen to this AM radio show, this pre-podcast, right? This AM radio show with these two real estate investors talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And so this was like the end of December 05 that I got the book and everything. Uh, by March of 06, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't stay in integrity and tell people they're going to be free when I know for a fact, especially when I looked at real returns, like real inflation rates, real return of the stock market, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to retire a good, solid middle-class or better than middle-class lifestyle in the stock market, especially within 30, 40 years, like they claim, right? Right. So I was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'll never teach about money again. I will just be a mortgage broker and I'll teach ballroom dancing on the side, right? And so that's basically what I did for about a month or so. 
but during that time, it drove me nuts that these guys knew things that I didn't. It drove me nuts. That there was guys in real estate in their twenties and thirties that were financially independent. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I got to know what they know. And so, I mean, kind of long story short, a few months later, by that summer, by applying some of the things they taught me, not just in real estate, but even with business, right? Just creating passive streams of income, whether it be in business or in real estate and things like that, I was able to be financially independent by that summer. And I didn't have to have a lot of money either. That's the crazy thing. Like mm-hmm. it blew my mind. And that's the thing that shocked me. And that's really when I became the anti-financial advisor, right? Because people noticed there was a change in me in my life. And I didn't want to coach people about money, right? I felt like a charlatan, you know, for mm-hmm. those previous four years. But they kept coming to me saying, Well, how are you doing this? What's going on? I'm like, I'm such a novice, right? I was honestly like, Did I get lucky? What happened here? You know? So I would start helping people. And so by the beginning of 07, I actually partnered with some guys who came out of retirement to basically teach people how to do that same thing. And that's kind of when I became more the anti-financial advisor, right? Because I was telling people, don't do anything that I taught you. Even my old clients, I'm like, anything I taught you, it's bull. Like, Mm -hmm. don't do it. Here's a better option. Like, hey, here's how you can use your mortgage, cash out equity out of this, go and invest it and create cash flow. Like when that whole thing blew up in my mind about you can create cash flow and income versus just accumulation, which is really what financial advisors teach. Because think about the financial advisor model, right? They're telling you, say you save up a million bucks in your retirement plan. They'll tell you, now, old time, they used to tell us 4% was what you live on, right? That doesn't work anymore. Rates right. are too low. It doesn't work. Now, 2 or 3% is a safer number if you want the money to last you forever, especially with inflation. So think about it. If you have a million bucks, you're a millionaire. But you're living on twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year. You're living below the poverty line as a millionaire. You're right. a broke millionaire, right. right? Even if you had two million dollars, you're like, cool. I might almost make it to middle class, right? Yeah. So I mean, you think about it like that's such a weird thing. <laughs> but if I have dollars in real estate, you know, and depending on the earns you get, but say you earn a net of just ten percent, you know, yeah. that's a hundred thousand a year. Not 20 or 30, but 100. Right. And that's what blew my mind. It opened up a whole new world, right? That I was just like, holy cow, there's hope. There's actually something cool out there. And that's kind of where it led me down that path over the last now 15 years. Yeah. No, I really appreciate that story because I think I've gone through a similar transformation, right? I was a finance and econ major in college, focused on investing, thought of myself as a pretty savvy, active investor in the stock market, yeah. did that for a number of years, but it never looked into real estate until you know I had, I had a point in my life where I sold a business and had some capital from selling the business and then came out and was like, well, I mean, I like the stock market, but I don't want all my eggs in one basket, right? So what are alternatives to look into? Start looking into real estate. And then, yeah, it really was a complete mindset shift once I started really understanding how the process works and the cash flow and the wealth that can be created. And then I started thinking about the traditional model and like, man, that just sounds crazy. So the traditional model really is save for 30 or 40 years Mm -hmm. so you can enjoy life in your 70s when you're old, but that's when you're going to travel and you're going to do all this stuff, right? When you're in your 70s, but then just hope you die before all your money runs out. Uh That's the goal. Like die before my money runs out, you know? And it's like, man, that just seems ludicrous. Yeah. You live on Ramu's that's cheap and it'll kill you faster. I mean, better (laughs) return plan than to die fast, right? That's right. Right. That's really what you're going for. And, And so- to now, like I said, to me seems like ludicrous, but mm-hmm. I mean, for 30 years of my life was the plan, was the way to go, was yeah. the smart thing to do, right? Because it's what you're taught. 
taught not only through like marketing and advertising, but literally like in college in 400 level investing classes, uh-huh. like invest in mutual funds, index fund, you know, diversified, do all this stuff. Not once was real estate brought up as, hey, you should go build cash flow. And so, no. yeah, just mind blowing to me. Well, if you think about it, like you said, it's not just marketing and advertising, but who's obviously teaching the people that are writing the books, right? Who's teaching what's supposed to be savvy financial education? It's mm-hmm. all the financial institutions, right? They're yeah. all the ones putting out the education. They're the ones training financial advisors to turn around and teach you because that's really who financial advisors work for. That's what I realized. I was just a glorified salesman in a suit, right? I had good intentions. There's no doubt. But because of all the training was from those financial companies, it was about a product. It wasn't about freedom. It wasn't about the client as much as it was about, here's the product to match whatever the client wants. I mean, it was funny because even after, you know, I got in during Y2K, right? Yeah. So after Y2K, a lot of people were kind of burned from the stock market because they lost a lot of money. Well, then they start coming out with index funds, Right. And even like index funds, they have like a floor, zero or 1%, and then a ceiling, right? They're like, hey, you can invest in these index funds. You won't have to worry about losing anything. And it's funny because I remember uh, in 2005, when I was still a financial advisor, I asked one of the trainers, that one of the company trainers that came to teach us. And I said, hey, I was doing the numbers. We found out from 1995 to 2005, despite the roaring 90s, where there was a huge upswing in the market, kind of like what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Like, that in a few down years and then a little recovery from 03 to 05, despite all that, we would have more money being in these guaranteed index type products versus being in the stock market, full leverage. Yeah. And I was like, why shouldn't we all be doing that? And at the time I was about 27 years old. He's like, well, you're young. You can take the risk. With time, the market always beats these index. We're just trying to give something for people that are scared of the market. And that's when I realized, I'm like, I'm just teaching crap, you know? (laughs) And that's the truth is that everything's been taught by these financial institutions to regurgitate, to tell you what's good. And think about it, stocks, they're telling you stocks are really the only way to invest. I actually taught 200 people how to trade stocks and options because if there's a level better than buying mutual funds, it's at least doing your own trading. Mm -hmm. But I told every single one of those people, I worked for a company that sold that education for like up to 50 grand to hire someone like me as a coach. Yeah. And I would tell those people right off the get-go, day one, I'd say, listen, if you're doing this program, you're not an investor, you're a gambler. Because if you're trading in, this, in the markets, you're just riding waves. You have right. no zero control. Real investors have control of their investments. Mm-hmm. They actually manipulate the returns to work in their favor. Warren Buffett is not a stock trader. He buys shares in companies, controlling interest in companies so he can bring his team in to ensure his investment that it will always pay out good returns. That's how he does it. He's not buying and selling stocks like everybody else is taught to do. That's all bogus marketing bullcrap. It has no relevance to you. And and think about it. There's millions of people that do real estate. And look at the evidence. Again, look at the evidence. Who are the richest people in America? They own companies and they're investors primarily in real estate. Maybe there's a few people in the oil and gas industry, right? But again, they own the company with that. But for the most part, it's all real estate. They all have real estate in common. When you get beyond the couple million dollar mark, it's almost all real estate. The people that can't get beyond five, 10 million in net worth at most over their lifetime are the ones that try to save into mutual funds. It's almost impossible to become financially free in those pieces of crap. (laughs) Yeah, well said. So we know what we shouldn't be doing. Right. We've gotten pretty clear on like, that's not the right way. Yeah. So what is the right way? I mean, what are you teaching? You, you alluded to it a little bit, but like, what are yeah. you teaching now? Yeah. I'm teaching my clients that, you know, you need to look outside of those options, right? Look at alternative investments. 
So and my, my clients will look at everything from like syndications, which I know you've got one as well, right? Mm-hmm. So like looking at multifamily, and that may not just be multifamily apartments. It could be self-storage. It could be assisted living, you know, mm-hmm. are we looking at like turnkey real estate? You know, like one of the easiest ways to get safe returns, consistent income and get great growth. You could buy your own real estate, you know, and not manage it. I personally love turnkey because I had realized from before the last recession, I'm a horrible landlord. <laughs> I sucked at it. Like I lost money during the recession. I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire. That's why it says in my bio, I retired twice. You know, I became financially independent twice. <laughs> sure. I screwed up, right? He went sure. over a million dollars debt, had to dig back out so I could be financially independent again in, in 2016. So you got to make sure you're doing it right. But there's so many options in that world. I mean, even multifamily syndication, right? Like even if you get like an internal rate of return, like 14, 16% or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Even if you don't get that. That's still better than 8.3 for 30 years in the stock market. And you oh, probably yeah. get better tax advantages too, right? I mean, oh, 100%. when you see this world, when you start to see it and you really begin to question the status quo, recognizing that the status quo, the average American, and not the spenders, but the savers, the Dave Ramsey graduates, right? As I like right. to call them, right? The right. poster children for Dave Ramsey. Those are the ones that keep coming to me all the time because they're saying, okay, Chris, I'm debt free. I got $3 million net worth, zero passive income. How do mm-hmm. I get out of my business? How can I work in my business? Because I want to, not because I have to, because I love it, but I right. don't want to have to work there. I could take a couple months off if I choose to, or stay or do whatever the heck I want, right? Or stay in my job or not stay in my job, right? That's the kind of thing you need to really plan out appropriately to say, listen, I got to go away from that status quo because the status quo has been proven not to work. Those people are, need social security to even have some kind of decent living. What happens yeah. if we run out of social security? It's supposed to go bankrupt in 2033, right? right. What right. happens then? Now, I think they're going to keep it going, but it's going to shift and change. It may not be as cool as we thought it was. So that's the thing is there's so many options out there, but it requires you to do the right options. Oh, and by the way, if you want to retire before 60, why you've put your freaking money in a 401k? How does that make any sense? Well, I get free money. That doesn't matter. Right. The free money, when you look at the compounded rate of return of a match, even if it's hundred percent, it only gets you about a two or 3% extra return. So say that the market does average 8%. You happen to be on the upside of the market, like right mm-hmm. now. That 401k might get you 11% return if you're lucky, maybe with the match and everything. But again, you're capped on how much you could put in. So you may not be able to save enough to hedge against inflation and everything else to have a decent right. lifestyle or to let right. the money last, right? Right. So that's why we need things like these alternative investments that say, hey, I can make double digit returns easily. Heck, even if I get the preferred return, I still get the, what the market gives me, but better. Because again, that's it's- right about the cash flow. What kind of income kicks off, right? That's right. It's about not living on 20 or 30,000 years, it's about living on 100,000 years. Right. It's about creating the life now versus yeah. saving up to hopefully have that life when you're 70. Yeah. Right? That's what I my mean, sign says back there, right? You know, live your life today, not tomorrow. Well, that wasn't even prompted, but I'm glad that sign was there. <laughs> yeah. And also my shirt says it too. Cash flow equals freedom. There you, you know, like there you go. that's the thing that, again, if you get that and you start to trust it and realize that you can actually be taking less risk to get higher returns. By the way, just so you know, high risk creates high returns. Again, right. financial institutions taught you to believe that because think of what the risk they're taking. Zero, right? right? They get the guaranteed management fee off of you. They get that whether the market goes up or down, they're always getting paid. Yep. And think about the rules. They're telling you to always keep saving stuff money in. Don't pull out more than interest only. So then their portfolio keeps growing. Their assets under management grows, which just gives them an increased cash flow every year, increased profits, increased revenue. It's like the most brilliant thing ever, but we've bought yeah. it 
hook, line, and sinker, haven't we? <laughs> we have. We have. And like the 401k thing to me is fascinating now that my mindset has shifted because I used to think the exact same way, like the traditional way, right? And now it's like, okay, the idea of the 401k is put money away now because when you retire, you'll be in a lower tax bracket because you won't <laughs> right. be working. And so you won't pay as much taxes. And it's like, uh-huh. wait a second. Well, if I'm in a lower tax bracket, it's because I have less income. So if I have less income, uh-huh. that again, like you said, is less money. Like you live in, in $20,000, $30,000 a year just because yeah. you've retired and that's all you can pull out, right? The whole concept doesn't make any sense if you really just think it through to the end. It's like, now the way I think of it is, I hope every year of my life, I'm heading into a higher tax bracket. I mean, right. one, I'm going to just defer all that through depreciation on my real yeah. estate. But even outside of that, that means I'm making more money. And I, I hope mm-hmm. when I retire, you know, retire that I'm making, I've got more money than I did now. So again, yeah. the whole 401k thing doesn't make any sense if you think about it that way. Yeah. You have to fail for it to succeed that plan. That's not a good plan. I mean, I remember the whole mantra as a financial advisor was, you don't plan to fail, you fail to plan, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, wait, honestly, if I do your plan, I'm going to fail. You know, <laughs> that is my plan. Your plan will equal yeah. failure, you know? And even with, like I said, a 401k, like if you want to retire before 60, that's a joke because if you try to pull that money out, you're getting slapped with a 10% penalty plus taxes. Right. And I know there's people who are like getting creative, like, yeah, but I can do a 72T and pull the money out and do this right. and this. Like, still, you have to jump through so many stupid hoops to get mm-hmm. that money to work for you. The government has set it up purposely for broke people, for average middle-class people to buy into their crap. But those that are wealthy, they think 401k is a joke. They laugh at it. And that's what I learned. By March of 06, when I left the industry, the reason mm-hmm. I left is because I went to go see those that were in the real estate game. And they're talking about this stuff and saying, yeah, financial advisors teach you this and this. Isn't that a joke? And they're like, well, hopefully we're not offending anybody. Is there any financial advisors in the room? And I almost went to raise my hand. But then when I realized that of 100 people, I was the only one about to raise his hand. I like quickly shot it, brought it back down. I was like, if I'm going to stay in integrity, I better quit this weekend. And I did. It was embarrassing because it made absolute perfect common sense. But again, yeah. people, because it's popular, like many things in this world, right? I mean, people believe popular thing when I was growing up was milk does a body good, pass it on, right? right? Well, milk doesn't do squat for your body, except make it worse and it inflames your body and it's not healthy. And really, we're just buying into the same lies from the milk industry that we're buying in from the financial industry. It's happening there too. We just got to reject it and do something different and do it right. Invest in a way that's lower risk, higher returns. That's right. I mean, there was a time when people thought cigarettes were good for your health, right? So it goes to show. Yeah. It relaxes your nerves, brings your stress level down. Like Especially when you're addicted. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Everything you said, I think is so dead on. I think there's... We could probably just go on and on about all the just like ludicrous Mm -hmm. things that we know now. But so for my listeners, I mean, and this is why I do the podcast is because I kind of had this awakening similar to what you're talking about. And I want other people to see that. So I think we've done a good job of hopefully crashing into those ideas that some of the people have, have had drilled into them for so long. But so if somebody now realizes, man, they're right, I have to change. Mm-hmm. What's the first step that somebody should take to do that? Well, first step, besides trying to gain confidence into what we're talking about here, because you have to gain that confidence to even consider this as an option, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, millions of people have done this option and it's worked. So just saying, you're not the first person guinea pig testing this, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, like, the first thing you should be doing is looking at your balance sheet. I mean, you should be looking at income expenses and looking at what the inflow and outflow is, right? And make sure you are got your cash flow managed well, but also look at your balance sheet. Find out what your net worth is. Just like 
you know, a couple that had $3 million net worth out in Minnesota, right? I mean, with them, it was all trapped into I mean, their own home, their office building, you know, where they have their practice. They had it trapped in different places. That's why it was creating no income. Mm-hmm. But when we got it out, we were able to do a cash out refinance of both their building and their money. They had a million and a half dollars to deploy that now is making them well over a hundred grand a year, even just starting in some of these syndications, right? And then eventually that should be building up to probably close to about 200 grand a year over yeah. the next few years, right? And that could almost get them to quit their business if they wanted to, that alone. And makes another half million to deploy. So that net worth is worthless, right? How do you get that net worth to start working for you? That's one of the first places I would look if I were you. And if you've got that net worth, it might be time to get that out of prison, you know, whether it's in your house or whether it's in the 401ks and IRAs, it might be time to get it out of that prison and get it working for you instead. Gotcha. That's great advice. And as you think about, you know, you had this concept, kind of these, I think going along the same lines, like these seven secrets to free up cash today. I mean, what are some of these other ideas that people can do? What are things that they can start implementing? Yeah. You know, like I talk about tracking your money, right? Like really going in, use programs like Mint, you know, use Mint for your personal finances, start tracking it. Because when you start tracking your money, it's amazing how you start finding more cash and you know where you are. Because if you think of cause and effect, like everybody talks about, you know, your assets create income, right? Like that's been the traditionally being taught. But the truth is, is that the more cash flow you have, the more extra money you have each and every month that can either build an asset or pay down a liability, that should be increasing cash flow one way or the other, either through passive income or freeing up loans, like you know payments and things like that. Yeah. Here's one thing I do teach in that book is that you should ignore the interest rate. If you're trying to pay down debt, you know, many people are trying to do that, ignore the interest rate. That is not the number one factor you should be looking at. The factor you should be looking at, I teach a little equation called the cash flow index, which is you take the balance of a loan divided by the minimum monthly payment, and that gives you that index number, right? So think about it. If you have a $10,000 car loan, Yep. Say it's only like 3%, right? But it's $10,000 car loan at 500 bucks a month. The index is a 20. If you also have a $10,000 credit card, that's 250 bucks a month. That's an index of a 40. So pretty much like if you were to look at Dave Ramsey's, they would say, hey, you should be paying off that credit card because it's a 13, 14, 18%. Right. And yeah, there's an argument for that. But the truth is that real financial freedom doesn't happen because of the interest rate. It's about how's it affecting your monthly cash flow. Right. So I look right, at so that, if I got 10 grand, I'm going to pay off the car because I can use that same 10 grand to get double the cash on cash ROI, right? Because that 10 grand will free up 500 a month, not 250 a month from the, the credit card. Right. And definitely life happens, right? Like things can right. come up that you don't expect higher expenses, lower income. What better way to know, hey, I don't have to pay 250 bucks a month this month instead of the 500 bucks a month, right? Mm-hmm. Want that flexibility because that creates freedom. And I've noticed psychologically, you tend to perform better and create more income when you relax. So the best thing you could possibly do is not focus on the interest rate, focus on the cash flow. Yeah, that's interesting. It's the first time I've heard that actually, but that makes a ton of sense. It's that, Mm -hmm. yeah, you think about the interest rate and you think about, okay, what's the total you'd have to pay over that time, right? But really what you're thinking about and what's much more impactful is that month to month cash flow, right? And giving yourself that cushion. And by paying off that auto loan, which is much lower interest rate, you're actually freeing up more month to month cash to be able to deploy in other ways than if you were paying off that credit card. So yeah, yeah, that's a new concept. I appreciate that. I had somebody who recently had like had $100,000 on a student loan. And it's funny because people with student loans, especially if they're doctors or dentists, things like that, like a lot yeah. of my clients have been, they'll say, hey, I've got half a million of student loans or 200,000, 100,000. Well, I'm like, well, what's your payment on that 100,000? Oh, it's about 800 bucks a month. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I could buy a rental property with a hundred thousand dollars down or a couple of rental properties even, or almost a fourplex or a duplex at least, right? Okay. Um, with that much money down and make at least that much cash flow to pay that payment for me. And that does include all the tax benefits. Of course, you're probably writing off the interest on your student loan anyways. Yeah. Um, that's double tax benefit there. That doesn't include the fact that they're paying down your mortgage for you. It doesn't include the appreciation. I mean, it's ridiculous to think of that you'd want to pay that stuff down. So many times people get caught up on the balance or the interest rate, but that's not the thing we should be worried about. It's the, how can we get the biggest bang for a buck if we were to pay down or pay off a student loan or any loan for that matter? And that's why in many cases, I'll have people refi their property to free up the cash flow, get the lowest payment possible. And sometimes we'll even do a cash out refinance and keep the payment the same, you know, but then we got cash to play with and invest, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. And also just thinking about this idea of, okay, if you've got this car loan, you know, and you're paying $500 a month and you can take your 10 grand and you can either pay that off or, or you can keep that 10 grand and you can invest it in something else, right? Well, I mean, I think people often think about like, I need to create more income. I need to create more income, but like paying off that loan where you're paying out $500 a month is Mm -hmm. just as impactful and a hell of a lot easier than creating $500 in new income a month. Right. And so you're, you're still freeing up the cash flow. It's just, you're getting rid of, of a payment versus adding an additional source. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a client only had 18,000 savings. They're like, I want to buy my first rental property. And when I looked at that, I said, well, wait, if we pay off this credit card and we you know, refinance your car loan and do this, we'll actually free up 600 bucks a month with only 6,000 bucks. And so within a matter of months, they're already back up over 18,000 and they bought their first rental property that same year. So it's yeah. kind of like they were able to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. But now instead of trying to make an extra, maybe 200 bucks a month net on their property, right? With 18 grand, now they're making like 800 bucks a month because they're still making the 200 on the property, but they freed up 600 a month. Mm-hmm. So it's all about that leverage and getting the best bang for your buck. Yeah, no, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think that's some powerful planning. So you, you talked about another concept of like making your investment money pay you twice. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, that one's almost a whole podcast by itself. But obviously, if you've ever heard people talk about things like infinite banking, you know, yeah. using whole life insurance to save the money and then use that money. I actually have a method called max ROI infinite banking, because I'll tell you, not all infinite banking is the same. Many times those infinite bankers are just insurance agents. They don't understand investing, right? Mm-hmm. They're coming from the perspective of, hey, look what you'll have in retirement. I know about speed of money. I can create my retirement now. Screw that. How can we use this now where this could be my own tax-free supercharged savings account with much lower cost than the typical infinite banking policy? And then you use that money to go buy real estate. And here's what happens. Because when I use it as like a line of credit, maybe I'm only paying three and a quarter percent or five percent on my money, right? But the insurance company is paying me five or 6%. So I'm already creating like this arbitrage, just like the bank does on us, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm doing that. And at the same time, I'm still buying my investment properties. So what ends up happening is I'm now double dipping. Like I'm making investment returns on my property just like I would normally. And I'm making money inside that life insurance. So I'm essentially making like this tax-free extra three, 4% rate of return rather than point nothing percent in my stupid savings account after I liquidated it, you know, or making nothing essentially. Right. So that's the difference. You can make an extra three, 4% on top of your returns that you're doing, whether it's in a syndication, whether it's buying properties or whatever. It's a pretty cool method if you do it the right way, but it's got to be designed right with lower costs to get max ROI. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sure there's a ton to unpack there, but I love that concept of, you know, being your own banker, being able to have a resource to give yourself the loans right? To be able to go out and continue to leverage and create 
like you said, scenarios where you're getting paid even more and even more and you're able to loan money to yourself instead of having to go to other sources and pay that interest. So very cool. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you coming today and sharing some of these topics with us. I think we've opened up the minds of a lot of our listeners and hopefully hopefully set some people just down the path of maybe asking some hard questions, right? Of like, is the way I'm doing it, is that right? Is what I was taught, is that correct? Or is there another way, right? So hopefully we've opened yeah. up some eyes. Lastly, before I let you leave, I've got four questions I want to ask you as we move into our keys to success round. So yeah. the first question is, because I know that you work with your students as well, and you mentioned you're helping them on due diligence and how to mm-hmm. underwrite properties and, and understand what's a good deal, right? So what is one question that every investor should ask their deal sponsor? Yeah, there's a bunch of them, but I'd say one that maybe people forget is how much of your own money are you putting into this investment, right? Because mm-hmm. if the deal sponsor doesn't believe in it, or they're not putting skin in the game, they got no accountability. But if they're putting yeah. a decent amount of cash in there, that's already like a good first filter, I think. If you can at least answer that question, you can move on to the next ones. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's one of the four keys I hit on all the time is that there's you got to have skin in the game. I mean, yeah. I started out as a passive investor first before I started running my own deals. And, mm-hmm. and so I think a lot of, about things from that perspective. And it's like, man, would I ever invest with anybody if they came to me and said, hey, I got this great idea for you. I'm not investing in it, but like you really should. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it just <laughs> you know, kind of seems crazy to me, but it's a great question. Yeah. What are you most proud of in your career? The impact. I mean, definitely that ripple effect. I mean, I've been through highs and lows. I mentioned the low I went through in the last recession, right? Where mm-hmm. I was struggling. And I remember praying to God, like, what's going on here? Like, why am I failing right now? And the feeling I got was there's tools and resources I was learning and things I was able to learn to become stronger and better, right? So I knew I was going to get out of it. I just didn't know how or when. Mm-hmm. It was about a year and a half to two years before I finally started to pull out of that little tailspin, right? But I'll tell you, like, as I started to come out of it, the one thing I thought is if I could just bless one person's life, that would be worth it, right? Like if one person could be benefited from the gains. If my pain became somebody else's gain, that would be worth it. And mm-hmm. now, I mean, literally there's been hundreds of thousands of people's lives affected and impacted because of what I learned. And I hope that to turn into millions, you know, and that's the thing I'm very proud of. That's awesome. Huge impact. What book should everybody read? Oh man, whatever you're trying to figure out right now is what you should be reading, right? You know, whatever you're trying to become an expert on. I would tell you like one of my favorite books was called The Pumpkin Plan, you know, by Mike Michalowicz. He did the book Profit First, if you've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. Pumpkin Plan was just a game changer for me because it got me to really apply that Pareto's principle to my business and my money to figure out what's going to give me my max ROI. Pumpkin plan. Awesome. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. And lastly, what is your number one key to success? Not giving up. I mean, just persistence. I'm a marathoner, so I'm used to okay. enduring, right? And definitely like because of the decisions I made where I kept enduring, that's what allowed me to be successful. And so especially when times get hard, that's usually the time right before something amazing happens. So I think that's the one key to success is that you're just persistent. You just keep going, you know, you just keep moving forward. Yeah, that's a fantastic lesson. You have your ups and downs. If you keep moving forward, right, you'll eventually get there at the end of the day. So Chris, thank you so much for bringing so much value to the group. And and guys, I hope that you've taken this in and are thinking about things in a little bit of a different way. Chris, if people want to hear from you more or hear more about what you're doing, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, two different ways. I mean, one, definitely follow my podcast, The Chris Miles Money Show. I mean, there's plenty to choose from. I would not start episode one because I'm now past 500. So Start from the newer ones, right? But definitely check out that show. Uh, and then you can also reach out to me through moneyripples.com. You can actually contact me right through there. 
Awesome. Well, we'll make sure all that's in the show notes so people can click and get a hold of you. And Chris, thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. I appreciate it. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit kentritter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.